morning. Thank you, sir. I feel special. My uh, uh, microphone says guest. <laughs> one for Ron and one for guest. I thought his would say like home. But, uh, no. but I guess we're all on the same team, aren't we? So, anyway, special shout out to everybody who helped me slaving yesterday at my house. Moving stuff in the rain. Thank you, Brandon. And, uh, yep, had all this great help. Got to sleep in my own bed again last night. That was glorious. Really hard to get out of it. So much more comfortable than the one Cynthia and I were sleeping in. But, uh, well, I sure appreciated uh, having that as well. Because that house was, there's not really, it wasn't really move-in ready. You know when you go, you know, like you're gonna buy a house. It's like move in ready. This was not move in ready. Like I was, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been in a house that gross before. So special thanks to all the ladies who scrubbed and cleaned everything. So here we are, Sunday morning. And as you can see, I'm late because I live further away now. And all of our stuff was in boxes this morning that we were looking for. But we had donuts, so that's the important thing. So Jesus, we thank you for uh, meeting with us in this place. And we appreciate this place to be and have fellowship with your Spirit. And we pray that today you would do exactly what you want to do in this place. That you'd say exactly what you want to say in this place. That you're... Perfect will be accomplished in us as only you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Go with me to Hebrews 12. Another one of those scriptures that always kind of makes me swallow a little bit when the preacher wants to go to Hebrews 12. Like, okay, what am I getting correct about now? No, that's not what I'm going to talk about. So, of course, we're all familiar with Hebrews 11 and uh, all the uh, happy birthday men. Uh, see, I have the talking stick, and I happen to know whose birthdays are around mine. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm giving myself a birthday present tomorrow. I'm going to sleep in, and I'm going to sit in my comfy chair with, uh, in my pajamas and drink coffee in my own house. Happy birthday to me. I I'm going to be all of 20 tomorrow. Yep, yep, 37. Okay. So, we all are familiar with uh, Hebrews 11 and, and of all the, the great thing. And time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and all those guys. And all the great things that that God did in all these people. And so that's the cloud of witness that he's talking about here in Hebrews 12. He says, Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that's set before us. And I, I love the sense of peer pressure that's created here. Because... Uh, you know, if if you were hanging out with David's mighty men and they're all telling their stories and, and 
comparing scars and missing teeth and and so forth. You you don't want to be like, you know, hey, I, I got this thing, you know, when I when I go, ah, it kind of hurts right here, you know. Not so much here or here, but right here. You know, you're not going to do that when you've got these people who've really actually been through something and they actually have something to talk about. So I like this sense of he just finished spending all this time talking about all these people and all the things that they went through, all the, the, the places that God brought them through. And then he says, okay, so in that context then, lay aside the weight and the sin and, and all that and, and run the race patiently. Because there's, uh, there, there's always somebody that's, that's got something that they've dealt with that's, you know, you don't want to play can you top this with, with some people. <laughs> You know, swapping horror stories and so forth. You especially don't want to play Can You Top This with my brother-in-law, Bobby, because he will beat you every time. <laughs> and and if you think that you've got a story that could beat his, you probably don't. Or if you think you've got something that he doesn't have a similar story, you probably don't. So if you don't believe me, he's not going to be here today, but you should ask him. Call him up. Ask him to tell you about train jumping. Mm-hmm. And bifold doors. <laughs> anyway, so so but the point is though is that uh, we we have this this cloud of witness. We have these these people that have gone through these things, and uh, and so we we can expect to encounter friction in life and, and difficulties and stuff. Um, so in verse two he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's a great one. Because, you know, here we are talking about this uh, this cloud of witness, and then talks about the the very pinnacle of, uh, of, you know, look at the things that God has done. Look at what God has done in the lives of His people. Uh, because you can't, you can't hold up your alley to to Jesus and and, uh, and him not care, but you 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 also can't uh, you can't top what he's got. You can't top what he's done, what he's gone through. And and he never mentions that it was your fault. So that's a precious thing that he does that. But the thing I wanted to focus on here is where he says, "Looking unto Jesus," because it's easy to get focused on everything else. It's easy to look at this, to look at that. And, uh, um, you know, the, we have an adversary that's always trying to do that very thing in your life. It's always He's always coming to you and saying, hey, look at this Look at this thing in your life. This thing doesn't seem to be working out right. Or you've been praying about this. It doesn't seem to be changing. Or, you know, well, look at this thing. This is terrible. Let's just look at it. And... Um, you know, but what we have is we have Jesus. We can look to Him instead and look, and look at the things that He's doing. And another thing that I think is interesting about this this um, this phrase, looking unto Jesus, is oftentimes when we try to turn our focus that direction, rather than focusing on Jesus, we focus on something really close. And what I mean is, uh, you know, we hold on. Everybody talks about holding on to the Lord by faith, 
And so sometimes I think we look at the faith that we're holding on to Him with rather than looking at Him. We, we look at the hand we're holding on to Him with rather than looking at Him. And, and so we have this sense of, uh, I hope this is going to work out okay. I, and um, when you're looking at Him, it's a different thing. You know, I uh, went and watched uh, Mike and Sarah's boys play baseball the other day. I was watching these kids. They would hit the ball, and they'd take off running, but instead of looking where they were going, they were looking to, to see how far the ball went, who's got the ball. And, you know, obviously you should be aware of that, but but your focus needs to be, this is where I'm headed. And it's easy to get sidetracked on, on looking at something else. But, uh, you know, we often think of having faith in God as, as like a currency to, to get something from Him. And certainly it is a tool that God uses in your life. And, and certainly it's an important thing. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, you can look at a lot of things about how about holding on to the Lord, looking to Him, uh, but actually kind of focusing on how you're looking to Him or how you're look, you're holding on to Him or whatever rather than looking at Him. There, there's a difference because, you know, you can, uh, you, can, you can see Him kind of off to the side, you know. You can see this kind of out of focus Jesus in the background while you're looking at the hand that you're hanging on to Him for, for dear life with um, without really seeing Him. Because when you see him, then all the other stuff becomes less important. You know, he said that he would keep in perfect peace the mind that stayed on him because he trusts in him. And so that's that's what looking to Jesus is about. Because it's like the old song says, um, that uh, when you uh, turn your eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, then the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so looking to Him then makes everything else seem less important, seem like not such a big deal. And so that's a precious thing because we get in those places in life where things look like an awfully big, hairy deal. And and really looking to Him, it's an opportunity to uh, to bring glory to Him because it's like, look at this thing that happened in my life and then look at what God did with it. And... Uh, you know, and the he so often he brings you through these things, and you kind of come out looking like Superman, and uh, and everybody looks at you in awe, but you know that that it was it was all God that did it, that you were just kind of standing there with your hands in your pockets, and 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 he got everything done, because that's what he does, and so. Uh, I'm going to go over to Matthew 14. I might slide quickly through a Hebrews 2 briefly. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to stop in Hebrews 2 uh, in verse 5. He's talking about the the, the preeminence of Christ in, in creation. Excuse me. It says, For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. 
You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that's not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. I like that. Because um, there's so many things that we that we look to the Lord in faith with and we don't... You have to take it by faith because you don't see it. And because, of course, that's the difference between faith and believing, whether you see it or not. Because if you see it, you don't need to have faith in it. You can believe it because it's right there in front of you. And like, like they say, seeing is believing. But faith involves this confidence in this thing that I don't see. And so... Uh, and I think that's an interesting thing here where he says that, that no, he's got everything put in subjection under him, but we see not everything. Not yet. We bleh, But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus. So that's, that's a great thing. Because uh, I, I saw this car this morning on the way here that they had a couple of Obama stickers on the back of their car. And a license plate frame that said "Praise the Lord," and I thought, well, that's kind of strange. They seem mutually exclusive to me, unless you're thinking, okay, I'm surrendering that this is God's choice, so I'm going to praise Him anyway. It's like, thank you, Jesus, through gritted teeth. Um, but you know, you look around at our at our society, and and you don't see all things put under Him yet, but we see Jesus. So that's that's the that's the whole crux of the matter is what are you looking at? Because if if you're looking at if you're looking around you, if you're looking at the things that are to be seen, uh, then things don't look so hot. And I don't know how many times I've uh, finished reading the news or or whatever and thought, wow, I'm so glad that I belong to a kingdom that has no end. The government, my kingdom, is not in trouble. <laughs> And the leadership is secure and continuous and uh, got nothing nothing to worry about. But I like that because he says we we don't see everything put under him, but we see him. So so that's an important thing. Okay, go over with me to Matthew 14 now. I was kind of musing about that all week long about looking to Jesus because we. I don't know if maybe it's a Western culture thing, maybe it's a particularly a United States thing, but I think we are raised to be very performance oriented. You know, it's like you're, it's like okay, so what what can you do? You know, and and you can see that with kids. It's like, so what does this thing do? You get them a toy, and like, what does it do? It doesn't you you have to make it do something. You you play with it. You use your imagination. There's no, where's the on switch? What do you, you what do you do with it? You know, it's like they, it's got to do something. It's funny when when you get out your laptop, your old laptop, and your kids like start trying to drag down the screen. And it <laughs> just leaves these little smears. It doesn't do anything. Like, sorry, this is not one of those. But we get we get focused down on those kinds of things. Of how am I doing? What am I doing? You know, and and that goes right back to that looking unto Jesus. Is am am I looking at how I think I'm doing, or am I looking at Him? 
because if you look at how you think you're doing, I mean, there are days you might think, well, it's okay, I'm good with that. But then there's going to be a lot of days when you're going to look at how you think you're doing and think, oh, okay. And so uh, if your sense of well-being then is wrapped up in how am I doing and what do I see, then uh, your your sense of well-being will always be subject to uh, the the slightest breeze, the the whim of the people around you. It could be you know anything. Uh, circumstantial can take your sense of well-being and and uh, destroy it, and and now everything seems wrong. It could even be some vague, formless type of feeling. You ever get that just? Something doesn't feel right. I have no idea what it is. And so then you start looking around. You start digging around, trying to figure out what, what would this be. You know, and when you ask God, you know, is, is there something going on you're talking to me about or what? And he doesn't tell you anything and you're not finding anything. Then it's like, okay, well, then I'm just going to look to him. And I'm not going to fret and worry about, oh, there must be something there. And he's not going to tell me what it is. And... Everything's going to be a big disaster because that's not that's not who he is. And when you look at him, then you can see that wow, he he loves me. When you're looking to him and you see those eyes of love and you see that pleasure that he has in you just being you, uh, it, it's a great thing. You know, when you have kids, it's a uh, it's a really interesting thing that you find about the love of God. Because your kids can drive you crazy, but you still love them. You can understand that this issue or that issue needs to be addressed, but you still love them. And uh, if you're just having an ordinary Tuesday, and they just come up and start talking to you about something utterly unimportant and mundane, but it's important because they're talking about it, and they're talking to you. And they, they felt like it was important enough that they wanted to say it to you. And and so I don't know how many times I've just just kind of stared at my kids while they were telling me some some little story that I wasn't even really able to follow sometimes, and uh, especially Zoe's. And uh, but I'm just thinking, man, I'm so glad she's here. Like this, what a, what a blessing this is, you know. And you know, look at my kids and think, wow, he looks so much like me. Bless his heart. <laughs> that's what they do in the south. You know, you can say anything you'd like as long as you say bless their, bless their heart. That is the ugliest baby I ever saw. Bless his heart. You know, cleans it up, sanitizes it. But no, no, it's, you know, there's something about looking at your children and thinking, wow, they look just like me. That that's a really precious thing. And to think God looks at you and think, wow, they look just like me. He looks just like me. She looks just like me. And and uh, you know what a blessing that is for him. And, uh, and what a blessing that is to us, because I can guarantee you that there will come that day when you'll you'll get up and you'll look in the mirror and you'll see him. And and uh, and you get there by looking unto Jesus. You, you look at him and you 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 keep your focus there, and everything else in life kind of just works itself out. That's what he said in in Matthew six. He said, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things should be added to you. So, you know, you put your focus in the right place and everything else just kind of falls into place. 
I was I was really fretting about how I was going to get stuff done at my house because uh, I had this deadline of the carpet coming and I I just wanted to live in my own house and and have my own stuff and everything and I thought well you know, it'd make a great birthday present to wake up in my own house and so I was pushing that direction I was working on it and of course uh, our Mike and I's business has kind of Cause us to be like one-legged men riding unicycles, but um, I, I had these opportunities to, where I kind of it felt like I had a choice to make. It's like, okay, you could here, here's a place where you could work on your house, good choice, or or you could you could put me first, better choice. So, okay, and, and I felt like what God was telling me was, you do that, and I will give you time to work on your house, because that was the sense of pressure I had was I didn't have time. I didn't have time to do everything I needed to do. And so, you know, your flesh sees no profit in, in putting God first. And so to put Him first when you have all this pressure is feels very counterproductive. Um, but a lot of really, really great things are like that. They're counterintuitive. And and so, um, so that's what I did. I, I made, I thought, okay, well, I'll put God first in this. And... He just kept rearranging stuff and giving me time and sending me people to help me, and it just it worked out fantastic. And so now I live there, which was glorious. Really, really great because this morning Levi got up and he came in. He's like, "This feels like home," which I thought, "Oh, that's nice," because we felt like pilgrims for a while now, and it was pretty tough for them leaving the house in Baldwin. It's the only house that uh, Levi remembered at all, and so. And Jeremy's very sentimental, so he took it hard that we left. But uh, so in Matthew 14, then uh, on this subject of looking on Jesus, says in verse 22, it says straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship and to go before him and to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Have you ever felt like that? Ever felt like you were in the boat and he's somewhere else because he had a better idea than you? <laughs> or uh, like that uh, that song, uh, uh, you're up there worried and he's fast asleep. <laughs> like, so, but he says that. Uh, the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. The wind was contrary. And uh, I, I've been in a boat on fairly choppy water before, and it was not a comfortable experience by any stretch. Not the, not really the aquatic type. So, you know, I, I, I liked the idea of nice solid ground underneath me. And uh, uh, so that was definitely a, you know, I, I could I could just imagine you know what it must have been like, you know, for these guys that knew what they were in for on this boat in the storm. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, "It's a spirit." And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake to them, saying, "Be of good cheer, as I be not afraid." And Peter answered him and said, "Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water." And he said, "Come." You know, the great thing about this is. Uh, God is a genius. And He can get you to do things that seem like your idea, but they're His idea. 
And uh, and so Peter actually gets out of the boat and walks on the water, not so much of his own because it's his idea, but he's he's obeying the word of God because he said, if it's you, then tell me to come. And he said, okay, come. So, okay, well, if Jesus told me to come, this must be going to turn out okay. And uh, and so, of course, he, he Peter comes down out of the ship and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What a great thing, walking on water, because you totally, obviously, cannot do that. And so there's the sense of following Jesus and fellowship with Jesus that is, you couldn't get there. You know, and, and if you're looking at how am I going to get there rather than looking at Him, then it's a lot harder to get there. And so looking at Him then, you know, here, here he gets down out of the boat, obeying the word of God, and he's he's looking at Jesus. He's he's walking to Jesus. He's not looking to see where the baseball went. He's looking at Jesus getting out of the boat. But when he saw the wind, boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, "Lord, save me!" And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said, "Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt?" And I like that because he didn't. He didn't take that particular opportunity uh, to uh, uh, gripe at him about this this moment of, of doubt until after he'd rescued him. Like, well, you know, if you could just believe, I'd pull you up out of the water. But uh, you know, you're going to have to get all your you know your Sunday school quarterly in, in order first. You have to be able to recite uh, uh, the the Ten Commandments to me. Then you know, then I can I can bring you up out of the water. He just he just rescues him because that's who Jesus is, and uh, and then he's like, you know, I, I like this, you know, because this little faith is is one word in the Greek, and it's almost like a. To me, it almost seems like a uh, a nickname, like you would you would kind of give somebody a hard time with. It's like okay, here's here comes Tiny Faith. It's like when you get some big muscular guy and his name is Tiny. It's kind of like that. But he, but of course he rescues him. And the thing that uh, I read this G. Campbell Morgan ser- sermon about this once, it was really great because he said that everybody focuses down on that moment where he looked at the wind and the waves because he wasn't looking to Jesus now, and that, that of course is my point that he began to sink then. But uh, the thing that uh, nobody ever seems to focus on is it says when they were coming, uh, then they were coming to the ship and the wind ceased. So he, how did he get back to the boat? You know, it doesn't say how far away from the boat he got. I'd like to think he probably got a ways out there because if Jesus was far enough out there, they were kind of squinting at him through the rain. I would imagine he was a ways out from the boat. And so I would imagine that that Peter was probably a ways out from the boat because uh, you know sometimes when you set out to do something that you doesn't seem like it would work or you don't think you could really do that, there's this sense of, wow, this actually works. This is really great. And then the more you think about it and the more you, you fret about it, then it starts not working so well. Like a little kid learning to ride a bike. And uh, so he he did this impossible thing by getting out of the boat and, and going to Jesus. But then he also did this impossible thing where he went back to the boat. At, 
I mean, it, it could be that Jesus picked him up and carried him. It doesn't say that, though. It just said that he went back to the boat. I mean, I didn't get a chance to look up because it tells you the story in Mark and John also. But, you know, I mean, he, he I would assume he picked him up and he walked back to the boat. And, uh, and so this sense of holding on to him and looking to him makes those impossible things not so much impossible. Because with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So then looking to him, not not looking at how am I looking at him, not looking at how am I holding on to him or, or how is he holding on to me or or any of those things, but looking at him uh, is, is the key thing. When I was uh, about 18 or so, I was dating this beautiful young thing, and I thought, if I ever want to move beyond just dating her and living at my parents' house, I'm probably going to have to get a real job. And so I went out and got a real job at 18 years old. It was hard. I had to actually work for a living. And uh, but uh, But I had a goal in mind. I had something I was looking at. Yeah. And so I'd get up and I'd go to work and it was hot and it was miserable and it was noisy and it was not a fun job. But I had something I was looking towards. Like I'm, I, I have something beyond this moment that's my goal that I'm looking at. And so, so this would be worth it then. That's what I kept telling myself the last six weeks or so working on my house uh, in these weird off hours. Like This is so going to be worth it when I just get moved in here. And so this morning I got up, sitting there drinking my coffee, thinking, wow, this was totally worth it. So, so then setting your goal on him and looking at him, and not at, not at how you're doing, not at how you're going to get there, not at the circumstances around you, because that's what Peter did. Was he, he saw the circumstances around him, and you're going to see them. But there's a difference between seeing them and really heeding them as as this is a uh, this is a problem for me or this is a big deal, and so God knows how to do those things in our life and get us successfully to the end of the road, and He does that by us holding on to Him and and looking at Him, looking to Him and not to anything else. So Jesus, we thank you for your Word to us, your goodness, and God, we just we pray that today you would do in this place exactly what you want to do. God, in this place have gathered your saints to worship you. God, to magnify your name. God, and to receive from you those things that you have for us. And so, God, today, uh, as the the rain falls, God, we want to fill every vessel. Lord, and we want to save up and savor these things that you would say to us today. God, that you would feed us with your word, that you would bring that bread of heaven. Uh, and and distribute it to everyone until everyone is full. God, we pray it in the name of Jesus. God, that no one would leave this place without having received something from you. God, if we've come without expectation, God, uh, even now I pray that you would cause us to have a sense of expectation. What is it that I want from God today? And God, I pray that you would uh, uh, you would cause us to to see those needs that we have 
and that you would fulfill them. God, if, if we have no idea what it is that we need, you do, God. And I pray that that is the very thing that we would come expecting from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.